one funny story about Community is Messy is when, when it was released, it had, it had barely hit the shelves. And I was in a meeting with my group's team, our, our staff team at NCC. And we were beginning the conversation about like, what does next year look like? What do we want to keep doing? What do we want to stop doing? And as a reference point, one of my team members grabbed the book off my desk and my team literally started tearing pages out of it. Like, well, we shouldn't do this anymore. Well, I don't know if this is true anymore. And the reality is I loved that moment because I think that's the posture and that's the um, the environments, the cultures that we need to create that we're constantly rethinking why we're doing what we're doing. Welcome to the Exponential Groups podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to episode 13 of the podcast. As we start into year two of the Exponential Groups podcast, I am very excited about today's guest. Heather Zimple serves as the Discipleship Pastor and Ministries Director at National Community Church in Washington, D.C. With a background in biological engineering and experience as a policy advisor in the United States Senate, she brings a unique perspective to ministry, leadership, and discipleship. Heather is the author of several books, including the most recent, Amazed and Confused, and Big Change, Small Groups. She loves football, barbecue, and having adventures with her husband, Ryan, and fun-loving daughter, Sawyer Elizabeth. To access the show notes for today's episode, go to alanwhite.org slash 13. And remember that following this interview, there's an Ask Alan segment to answer the question, what are some creative ways to encourage more people to lead groups? Don't miss that one. Now my conversation with Heather Zippel. All right, Heather, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Alan, how are you today? It's so good to be on here. Hey, it's so good to have you. Uh, you know, we haven't talked in a while, but you know, the last 24 months have been boy, something else. And, you know, you guys are in the heart of DC. The whole culture has just rapidly changed. So for you, as far as small groups go, um, you know, what's held true? And, you know, what have been things that you've had to adjust? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that is the question right now, right? Like, that's what mm -hmm. I think everybody's wrestling with to some degree or another. I mean, between COVID and social distancing and, and then some of the disagreements that come with that, uh, you know, political polarization, racial reckoning in our nation, like, yeah. it's just been a lot. And as you can imagine in DC, like we're, we've really been dealing with it. I, I would say the thing that is held true for NCC and for groups at NCC is we would say that groups are still the community in National Community Church. Um, I would say that when it comes to the last 24 months, our focus on community and discipleship and mission have stayed on track and in some ways have even, I think, heightened. Uh, down the During the pandemic, you know, our, our services went to online, but we also adopted this NCC Anywhere strategy. And so we had small groups that were meeting in like COVID pods around the area, not just doing group life together, but doing 
church life together. Uh, we were still handing out spots in our community with our office spaces and some of the businesses that we run where we we're handing out groceries and food distribution to our city. And so mission community discipleship stayed on track. As we pivoted to some things online, we actually discovered that there were some environments that worked better in that space. Mm. Like I always felt like digital discipleship were two words that did not go together. Yeah. I'm such a believer in the face-to-face and the shoulder-to-shoulder, a theology of proximity and space. I just always had a little bit of an allergic reaction. Um, <laughs> but when we were forced online, we had one group called In Real Life that met every single day. They're still meeting. They wow. meet 30 minutes online first thing in the morning to pray together and encourage each other and go on. And I ran into this group um, out apple picking one day. They had been meeting online for months, had not met together in person yet. It was their first time they had come to this apple picking thing just to meet together for the first time. They had formed real community and real discipleship was happening in that space. And it was it was outside the bounds that I'd always kind of had my head for what a small group looked like. Another environment that we have is called the story, where we take people through the story, the chronological story of the Bible in three nights. Uh-huh. And in the past, that had always been like, you know, you got a workbook. And then I stood on a platform and talked, like literally just talked for two hours. During the pandemic, we shifted that over to online. So all the content was available online. People watched it ahead of time. Then we gathered on Zoom for those three nights. And it just made the whole experience more interactive, more engaging. People, they'd already gotten the content. So then they were coming in on Zoom, able to ask questions, able to make comments and have conversations in the chat. And we were just able to do a lot more with it. And so what we're trying to do now is figure out what does this look like moving forward? We've learned a lot. We're still learning a lot. We're still on our toes a good bit because as, as things keep progressing, um, especially with, with COVID, we just never know what, what DC is going to throw at us. So we're trying to stay on our toes. That's, that's the thing. And it's interesting because I've heard some people actually say that kind of the digital revolution and kind of, I mean, you imagine if we weren't digital, where, where would ministry have even gone, you know, totally. but some people are putting it right up there with the invention of the printing press. As oh, far yeah, as the sure. implication on, you know, church and ministry and, and all of that. So um, let's switch a little bit um, because you guys are in a culture that is a bit of a revolving door, you know, yeah. depending on whose guys voted in and, and whose gals voted out. And, you know, you, you got people in and out switching around military, all of that, but all of these groups have to have leaders. Somebody shows up or the new crop shows up or, you know, last year, a whole new administration, new people come up, show up at your church. How are you identifying, recruiting, developing leaders in kind of a short span of time so you can get them, get them going because you don't know, you know, when they're going to disappear? We determined several years ago that the average time someone was with us at NCC was about two years between our military, our Hill staffers, our students. Yeah. Actually, our students are our longest tenured. <laughs> They're here for three or four years for grad school, law school. And so we we started thinking in terms of what is a two-year track for people. The nice thing about DC is DC tends to attract leaders. Mm-hmm. So it, DC attracts people that want to change the world. So we're able to cheat 
in terms of that. <laughs> like we don't have to convince people to be leaders. Some of them we have to convince you're not ready to be a leader, <laughs> you know? So um, you've got people that understand leadership. They understand, they want to influence, they want to change the world. What we've tried to do is we've tried to set a really low bar for leadership in terms of entering into leadership, but then set a high bar for development. How do we come alongside those leaders once they're in and do on the ground, in the trenches, training with them to develop them as, they, as they're leading? Um, and so the fact that we have a, a small group semester system helps that we're on this rhythm of launching three different times of year, uh, three times a year, we're able to launch leaders into those spaces in kind of a systematic and rhythmatic way. And so there are a handful of groups that we have identified that are great at producing new leaders. So for instance, our alpha environment, our freshman of the city environment, our commissioned environment, you've been through that experience you're going to make a good small group leader. And so we look to those groups and some other groups like it as a potential training ground for leaders. When we do alignment series, when the series is aligned with a sermon series, and so the leaders aren't having to do as much prep work because we're doing it for them, that's a great opportunity for us to recruit new leaders in. We try to do that at least once a year. We just try to continually look for who's making a difference in their space, recruiting them into higher level leadership. And back to that two-year time span, I mean, we, in the early days, especially that average lifespan of an NCC has probably increased a bit over the years. But we saw ourselves as just as much a boot camp for developing missionaries and sending them out mm -hmm. as we saw ourselves small group leadership training structures. And so, you know, some names that you would probably even know, like a Will Johnston, yeah. an Ashley Anderson, a Brad Dupree, a Jonathan Schrader, Clint Reddy, like guys and girls that started out as small group leaders at NCC and are now groups, pastors, lead pastors, leading in influential spaces. That was our heart in the beginning is just how do we send, how do we develop and then send out, whether that's sending out leadership at NCC or sending out leadership across the kingdom. Yeah. And I love that. The, the low bar of entry, the high bar of development. So let's go this way because some people are afraid of this low bar. How, mm -hmm. how low is the low bar? <laughs> so we have, we have three primary requirements. One, we ask that you be in an NCC small group for at least a semester. We want you to breathe our air, experience our culture, swim in our waters for a little bit, and have a, a season where we can get to know you. Secondly, we have a simple application that we ask you to fill out. It's just basic information. We want to know your story, your faith story. Mm -hmm. um, and then thirdly, we have a, a leadership training. It's called Leadership 101. It's online. It's both video content that you watch and then interactive questions that you answer based on that. Mm. And so that's really a part of that application process because it gives us some insight into their readiness relationally to lead a group, spiritually to lead a group, and then just kind of logistically to lead a group. And then I guess there's actually four things. After they go through that process, we ask them to sign a leadership covenant. And that is an agreement both, um, it's, it's partly theological and then it's partly lifestyle that we will mm -hmm. agree to these standards and these values. So that's the bar. Do you love Jesus? Do you love people? Do you have the relational and logistical skills to do a group? And then we're going to throw you out there and 
and we're gonna we're gonna make you swim, but we're gonna swim along with you. Well, and you look at the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and the way that he planted churches and was never at a church, you know, six to 18 months, <clears throat> picked the best and brightest, said, hey, you're in charge. If you get in trouble, write me a letter. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Now, is, so once they get going, then what does the leadership development piece look like? We're con- This is the part of all of this that we are continuously reinventing, reimagining, struggling with, failing at, trying new things. In, in any church that, that says they have coaching and leadership development figured out, I immediately am suspect of. But if they exist, please send me an email. I want to know what you're doing. <laughs> what, what we're doing right now, after someone is in that leadership role, they're connected. We're a multi-site church. So they're mm-hmm. connected then to their small group director at their campus. At some of our campuses, this is full-time staff. In other places, it's a, it's a volunteer uh, position. But that is the person that's the face of the place, the group's pastor uh, of that particular campus. So they're connected there relationally. They're brought into whatever kind of coaching model we're doing at the time. And that has shifted dramatically over the years. We've done different things at different times, doing a lot, obviously, online right now. But then some of the training that we do is one of the things we're experimenting right now is with leadership labs. So once a month, it's all on Zoom. It's for one hour, once a month on Sunday night, uh, we do leadership development, and it's it ranges topics from how do you do discipleship in group, how do we handle, how do you do mission within your group. So in the leadership lab, we bring in experts. Sometimes that's within our church. Sometimes it's outside the church that are practitioners that can give really practical information on how do you do discipleship in group, how do you build community, how do you talk about hot topics and politically polarizing topics mm-hmm. and racially polarizing topics in group. So trying to give really practical training, but also having a group element to that so that there can be interaction, there can be questions and answers, there can be people that are actually real-time leading groups in real-time dealing with these issues, sharing what they're learning, sharing what they're trying, and sharing what they're struggling with, and learning from one another. And then once a semester, it's actually trimesters, we have three times a year that we're launching groups, We have a leadership summit that's bringing all of our leaders together Mm -hmm. from all of our campuses. Our lead pastor, Mark Batterson, prioritizes that. He does the primary vision cast and teaching and affirmation of our leaders uh, to kick off each of those summits. And then there's always some sort of training, uh, leadership development, leadership training that is included in that, whether that's an inside voice, somebody from our team or somebody from the outside. And then occasionally we'll have breakouts that are just for uh, small group leaders specifically. And depending on what kind of small group they're leading, uh, breakouts that are relevant to what they're doing. So we're constantly pivoting and reinventing and trying new things. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah. No, and that's And that's great because, you know, I think part of it is culture shifted Things have, things have changed, the way people process information, the things people have time for. And I don't know if you've seen this, I, I kind of feel that people are a little stingier with their time than they used to be, who they interact with and why. And I was just meeting with the churches last week and you know, it used to be we got all the leaders together in a huddle with the coach. And then we discovered that trying to do that was kind of like herding cats. You're better off just 
you know, how, how are they willing to communicate? Is it a text? Oh, yeah. Is it a phone call? Is yep. it a cup of coffee? You know, and, and even what is training? You know, those are kind of some things totally. we've, we've wrestled with. So knowing that you guys are constantly innovating, constantly trying to figure things out, if there's a better way, as culture shifted, trying to chase that. Your book, Community is Messy. Uh, it's been out for almost, it's been out like a decade. Can you believe it? <laughs> no, no, I feel so old right now. No, I'm no, no, you were just ahead of everybody else. That's what it was. So, um, so first of all, do you remember anything that you wrote in the book? Because I have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I but, remember some things. I remember the title. I remember a there you go. And community is still messy. So I think that's yeah. that's held that's held true. But uh, what what else from you know kind of what you you know hitting on back then? What else is held true? And what are things that have just kind of morphed over time? Yeah, I I've shared with you before that in the beginning I I told my publisher I really didn't want to write the book because I didn't trust what I was writing in it. Mm. Uh, I just knew that things were changing so much and that a year, five years, now 10 years later, you know, a lot of the things that I would write about very dogmatically, I might have very different opinions about. And so, as you said, what has remained true, uh, the thing that has held true the most is the title itself community is messy <laughs> and you know what it's only gotten messier sometimes i go back and i read parts of the book and i'm like oh that was cute <laughs> right because the longer the longer you're in ministry the bigger the messes get and so i think that uh you know when you're faithful to walk through the early messes and the smaller messes it's going to prepare your heart and your mind and your willpower for when the messes just get bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. I would also say when I think back to some of those chapter titles, you know, everything's an experiment. Groups should happen in real life. Growing people grow people, which mm -hmm. I stole from Mac Lake. Those, those chapter titles, I think really still hold true for me. Those were the things that we looked at as a church and we thought, you know, this is the DNA. This is the stuff that we value related to community and discipleship. And then I would say everything that's written in those chapters about how we did it, those were all models. Mm -hmm. Some of those have remained the same. A lot of those have changed. We're constantly discovering and redeploying and redoing you know, new things. One funny story about Community is Messy is when, when it was released, it had, it had barely hit the shelves. And I was in a meeting with my group's team, our, our staff team at NCC. And we were beginning the conversation about like, what does next year look like? What do we want to keep doing? What do we want to stop doing? And as a reference point, one of my team members grabbed the book off my desk and my team literally started tearing pages out of it. Like, well, we shouldn't do this anymore. Well, I don't know if this is true anymore. And the reality is I loved that moment because I think that's the posture and that's the, um, the environments, the cultures that we need to create that we're constantly rethinking why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So what is held true? Community is messy. What's still mm -hmm. true for us? We still embrace the idea of operating according to semesters, operating according to free markets, growing the leaders and, and trusting them to grow the people that are coming behind them. All of those things have stayed true. The way that we've done it has shifted. And I think we've also discovered some of the downsides 
of semesters, the mm. downsides of free market, the downsides of some of our DNA in trying to create new structures and new strategies to mitigate that. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. So so what I'm hearing in all of this is really you should be putting out a new book every year. That's what, I, that's what I'm hearing. Or, or, or just never. Maybe, or ne- <laughs> post, maybe a blog post once a year that just says, this is what I'm trying right now. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the kind of the setting that uh, NCC is in, uh, being right there in the heart of Washington, D.C. I work with a number of churches in Maryland, D.C. and uh, Virginia. Now, you know, your neighbors don't like to be called the D.C. area. They like to be called the, the DMV. DC, Maryland, and Virginia. So the thing that they wrestle with, and I know other locations wrestle with this too, so don't don't tune us out. But what I've been told about people in the DMV is that they are busy and important, and their importance is measured by how busy they are. Now, everybody has people in their church that are busy and important, and because they're so busy, how do you get them to slow down connect into a group? How do you raise this value with them when they're, you know, trying to, you know, save the world? Well, I I would just affirm the way that you characterized people in DMV are busy and they're important and their importance is measured by their busyness. That, that is true. One of the things we've tried to do at NCC is focus on the vocabulary of that, right? Hmm. So we try to tell people, look, it's not a matter of busyness. It's a matter of priority. Now that stings a little bit. That's hard Mm -hmm. to hear. Look, this is a matter of what you prioritize. We all, no matter who you are, what your job is, we all have the same number of hours in the day. It's not elastic. It is a defined amount of hours. And so how you choose to invest those hours is up to you. Then we change the conversation to priorities. So what is a priority? In this season, and I think that's also important, is especially with the work that a lot of people do in this area is understanding the season they're in Mm -hmm. and what's a priority in that season. And just constantly raising the question that like, look, community, discipleship, mission should be prioritized in your life. So how is that prioritized right now? Mm -hmm. Um, so, So changing the vocabulary there, trying to hone in on those ideas. And then I'll also say this, I think that every day in this city, people simultaneously overestimate and underestimate their importance and influence Mm. every day. You've got Hill staffers that on one hand think they're like the most important person in the world. They have all this power, all this authority, all this influence, right? And, And really at the end of the day, they don't. But then there are moments where they have an opportunity to make a real difference in the life of a person or the life of a community. And sometimes that is underestimated. So the the value, the importance of people in this city is both inflated and deflated in their own minds simultaneously every day. And we try to come along and just affirm their value, affirm their influence and come alongside them to add value. One of the things we've tried to do as a church is not to build a group structure or any kind of ministry structure where we say, come serve us. Here's our program. We want you to come be a part of what we're doing. Come serve this thing that we've created. We've tried to turn that inside out and say, hey, what is God put you on mission to do with your life? How can we come alongside you and equip you and serve you and unleash you to do that? So talking to people then about you're called to make disciples. What does that look like for you? 
Mm. And so one group in particular is a group that's been meeting on Capitol Hill for a number of years now, Republicans and Democrats together. I mean, you talk about community. Mm -hmm. You talk about like Acts, Jew, Gentile, Acts 15 community. Like it's happening. It is a beautiful picture of unity in the body of Christ. But what they did is they were like, okay, we're on the hill every day. This is our job. We're already interacting. So what if we just get together a little bit earlier in the morning and pray together Mm -hmm. and study together and learn what it means to be a leader in the ways of God together. So the free market system and the semester system is really about trying to harness the momentum of people's lives as they live it and, and unleash them to make disciples and to experience community in the worlds that they're already living in. So those are those are a few of the things that we're we're trying to do to to make community life and discipleship and mission accessible for very busy and uh, and often important people. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's great. And I love that you're embracing, you know, not that they're part of the church's mission, but how can the church equip them on their mission that God has called yeah. them to? I I love that perspective. Um, I'm fond of saying that ministry is not something that we do to people. That's, yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. So one of the things that one of the things we say at NCC is that we we invite you to be a part of the story that God is writing mm-hmm. in our life, but we also want to be a part of the story that God's writing in your life. I like that. I like that a lot. That's good. So what's the what's kind of the big challenge that you're tackling right now? Well, there's there's two simultaneous challenges. The group's challenge is one of the things that we initiated, excuse me, during the pandemic was re-looking at discipleship specifically and how it practically happens in our groups and in other ministry contexts at NCC. So what does it look like in family ministries? What does discipleship look like in our missions world? And we tried to land on some language related to discipleship that could be used across the spectrum at NCC, translated into those ministry worlds and activated. Groups will always be our primary engine for discipleship, but it was a realization that we needed to partner across our departments, across our ministry areas to make disciples in every environment where people are gathering at NCC. Mm. Along with that, we launched a new small group experience called Commissioned that is kind of a discipleship 101. It's introducing people, whether they're new to NCC or just new to groups or new to the concept of discipleship, what does it mean to be a student of the words of Jesus, a follower in the ways of Jesus, and a partner in the mission of Jesus? It's a little bit new NCCers class, new to groups class, new to learning the ways of Jesus class, and we're just talking about people, what it means to be a student of the word, an imitator of his ways, a partner in his mission. That mm-hmm. will become a hub for us. It's still very much in pilot mode, uh-huh. but that will become a hub for us. That's basically where we will tell every NCCer to start their journey, whether it's starting their journey at NCC, starting their journey of faith, or starting their journey as a, a disciple of Jesus. So that's one new thing we're working on. The biggest challenge I'm tackling is something called the Dream Collective. For years, NCC has felt like we're called to not just be a church, but a teaching church. There are hospitals and then there are teaching hospitals. And we just believe that part of our calling is to help other people do what they're doing and to also provide a platform for what they're doing so that people can learn from one another. The Dream Collective, it's really rooted in this idea that we wanna see revival in the church, reformation in the kingdom and renaissance in culture. It's going to begin with church planting, 
Like we want to plant more churches. We're, we're really shifting some of our strategy. Uh, we'll still be a multi-site church. We have three campuses and an online campus, but we're shifting our strategy away from opening locations to planting churches. We want to do more things where we have less control and get less credit. We want people to get a vision from God and run with it. And then we want to be the first shareholders in that. But we also want to be an incubator for businesses mission. We really feel that for every church we plant, we should also launch a business's mission. Some of that just comes out of our own story as we've launched Ebenezer's Coffee Yeah. Eighth Day Productions, Miracle Theater, our event space of the turnaround. We want to raise up the next generation of leaders who are followers of Jesus, who, who are going to write better books, tell better stories, draft better legislation, produce better music, uh, produce better movies, and start better businesses. And so this new endeavor is what my time and attention is going to be given to moving forward. And I'm excited about elevating the values of community and discipleship within that space. So I don't know. I mean, that's not related to groups specifically. So I don't know. You might want to edit all that out. But <laughs> no, that's, that's my next that's my next big challenge. That's great. No, that's that was the you you answered that well. So if people wanted to become part of Dream Collective, how would they do that? It's actually not officially launched as we're recording this, but by the time this goes live, we will be launched. So if you go to thedreamcollective.com, that's our website. You can uh, get early access. I think there's a button that will say get early access or maybe contact us. There's a quick form you can fill out with your interests and what you want to be a part of there. In this first year, we're going to, we're probably going to have a conference in May. We're going to have roundtables for, and for groups, people in particular, just gathering groups, people in a room, what's working, what are you learning? How has COVID impacted your experience in groups? What are you doing that's new and, and creating that space to learn from one another? We'll have a number of retreats throughout the year. Some will be more for lead pastors. Some will be for people that are interested in writing or speaking. And then the other thing is that we'll create some cohorts of people that can learn together, utilizing technology like Zoom, other online tools, again, specifically for groups, people to just get in the same virtual space together and wrestle the challenges they're facing, wrestle the questions that they're facing and, uh, and learning together. Sometimes people just need a tribe, right? You just need to know who the people are. I think that's one of the gifts that you and I have experienced over the years mm -hmm. of having people that are in the trenches doing this work that we can call up and say, hey, what are you learning? What are you doing? And we're wanting to create that for other people as well. Yeah, no, I, I love that because, you know, I mean, even in the small group world, um, small group leadership can be lonely. And you're in community with people, but it's that experience of leadership that can be Absolutely. a little bit. Things, yeah. One of the things I always told leaders is make sure that you don't spend so much time and energy creating community for other people that you fail to experience it yourself. Mm, that's and, good. And, and ideally that will happen most of the time within the communities that you're forming and that you're leading and nurturing. It should happen that way. But there's also a level of leadership that can't be shared or understood by the people that you're creating the community for. And so having a space where we can come together, learn from one another, I'm, I'm really excited about helping to, to curate that. That's great. Well, Heather, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for being you and the perspective that you bring to all of this. And thank you for back in the day, introducing us to the concept of pig poo and that community is messy. <laughs> well, Alan, thank you so much for having me. This is a, an honor. 
Um, it's a privilege. It's so good to be with you. And I'm just grateful for your influence in my life and in the kingdom throughout the years. And uh, let's keep doing this thing. That sounds great. Today's question for the Ask Allen segment comes from Ashley Calabro, the small group director at Five Points Church in Easley, South Carolina. Ashley asks, what are some creative ways to encourage more people to lead groups? I like that you said creative ways. Let's get creative. All right. One of the best ways to find new small group leaders is to look at your current small group members. You know, who loves being part of the group? Who maybe leads occasionally? Who maybe is a co-leader in the group? In fact, very commonly, I practice, you know, passing around leadership. So everybody in the group has a chance to lead. And then you can kind of see who rises to the top. And then when the time is right, either that person can start their own group or that person can take over the group that they're in and the leader would go and start a new group. But let me warn you, this strategy is not very popular in North America, because even though we say, oh, we're not dividing, we're multiplying. Well, you know what? It still feels like, you know, the small group family is getting a small group divorce. So that's one way to go. Now, I always tell leaders that if there's somebody in your group that, you know, is interested in maybe leading a group, please don't discourage them. I also tell them, hey, take a look at the people in your group and that guy that's bugging you. Maybe it's time for him to start his own group, right? The second thing to do is to look at your church membership list. Look over your member list and see who's committed to your church that's not leading a small group or is not in a small group and ask them. If you truly believe it, say, hey, you know what? I think you would be a great small group leader and see if they'll rise to the occasion. The third way I do is just to sneak up on them a little bit. You said to get creative and that is to offer them an easy to use curriculum and give them a short-term trial run. Get together with your friends and do the study. Think about your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, other people. The group could be advertised. The group could be, you know, invitation only. Either way, and give them a try at it. And if they like it, offer another one. And then if they like that, then let's keep going. Probably the best compliment I've ever been paid in ministry was a leader whose name was Doug that spent most of his life feeling like he was dumb. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But in his retirement years, he not only led a group with his wife, but he also coached other leaders. And the best compliment I was ever given, Doug said to me, thank you, Pastor Allen, for showing me that I was the leader. I never knew that I was. And there are those people, those avowed non-leaders in your church, that if you give them some kind of a short-term trial run with an easy-to-use curriculum, gather their friends um, let them get an experience and you'll see who rises to the top. So thank you for your question, Ashley. I appreciate it. And as a thank you to Ashley, I'm going to spin the big prize wheel. Uh, today's prizes include the Exponential Groups book, the three keys to the lasting groups online course, or a coaching session with me. So here we go. And Ashley wins the three keys to lasting groups online course. Congratulations, Ashley. I will send you the information to access the course right away. Now, if you have a question about small group ministry, tell us. Go to allenwhite.org forward slash ask Allen. And Allen, of course, is A-L-L-E-N. So allenwhite.org forward slash ask Allen. Give us your question. We're only going to answer one question on each episode of the podcast. So get your question in, make it a good one. All right. And speaking of the podcast, if you enjoy the Exponential Groups podcast, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Also share the podcast with a friend 
in small group ministry. On our next episode, you will hear a great conversation with Michael Hendricks, co-author of The Other Half of Church, Christian Community, Brain Science, and Overcoming Spiritual Stagnation. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to the Exponential Groups podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you choose to listen. For a complete list of podcast services, go to alanwhite.org forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.